You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're in the second to our last week in this series going through the wonderful epistle to the church in Philippi. Lord willing, next week will be our final week as we finish off the remainder of chapter 4. Uh, just to give you a heads up today, we're going to have a um, sermon right now. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper, which I'm very excited about as an extension of our text. And then one of our elders, Chris Dias, he's going to come up and give a, an update to end the service. I want to start here today. Um, I read this again this week, and it's such a great summary of where we go today in God's Word. On the screen for you, this is what it says. It says, a sow of thought, reap an action. I'm going to kind of go through this slowly because I want you to take this and consider it for your life, your mind, and your heart. Sow a thought, reap an action. That's incredibly biblical. We're going to see it's, that's the thrust of our text today. Sow an action, then reap a habit. Sow a habit. Now, this is very both motivating and convicting. Sow a habit, reap a character. And then I think, I, I think it's right to say on this last part, sow a character and reap a destiny. Now, look at that for a second and go back to the beginning. Look at where it starts. The power of the mind. What we fill our minds with. What we think upon, what we dwell upon, what we consider with our brains physically, spiritually, emotionally, that in the end will determine, we'll see this in Scripture, will determine the destiny of our lives. Wow. That becomes fairly important. And we're going to see just how biblical this really is. Our sermon title says it well today too, because it's saying really the same thing in a slightly different way. Our sermon title is Think, which progresses into act. The way we think will ultimately be the way we act. And the way we act then will lead us to, Lord willing, lead us to rest in Christ or peace in Christ, the peace of God. If we're thinking rightly, that leads to right living or right actions. And then right actions puts us in a place to encounter and experience the rest and peace of God. I mean, think of it in terms of the gospel. You think on Christ that he died for your sins and saved you. You act according to that reality by grace through faith. The end result is rest in heaven forever with Jesus Christ. That's the overall macro understanding of think, act, rest. But then in a micro level, it comes down to us every day of our lives. How we think determines how we act will then determine the condition of whether or not we experience the rest and the peace of Jesus Christ within our lives. So today we are specifically going to do battle against what I'm going to call today stinking thinking. Stinking thinking is a pattern of thought life that kills us. Stinking thinking hurts us. Why? Because the mind is so important. From there, we're going to move on to what we're going to call, I'm trying to get action for traction. Action in our lives that actually gets traction. What do we mean? There's a way to live that is right and fruitful. But let's not be mistaken. There's a way to live that is both hurtful and wasteful. Right thinking leads to right action. This action gets traction, and then we will see stinking thinking leads, or if we stop the stinking thinking, we have action that gets traction, and then finally we will see this result we're praying for, a blessed rest. 
And thank you for your grace in allowing me to rhyme, all right? I know it's for me, but I'm praying also you will also maybe remember it just a little bit better, but I do appreciate your patience with me. So think and act and rest. I'm not making this up. It's right from God's word. You'll see Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We have two verses today. Do you think you can get a sermon from two verses? Well, let's pray so, all right? Verse 8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, notice, here's when you're reading scripture, look for the verbs. The verbs contain the power. Where the power is, that's where the thrust is in the text, okay? So here's the first main verb. It's an imperative. It's a command. Think about these things, okay? I've Uh, circled that in red in my Bible. I want to know again the thrust of the text. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul's pointing to his own life. Here comes the second imperative. The second verb where the power is practice. Notice, think these things. Now, practice these things. And here's the results. The and, and, and. Okay, so the conditions, if you think and practice, here's the result. And the God of peace Um, will be with you. So this takes us right to our first point. Point number one is this. Think rightly or stop the stinking thinking. Okay, so I've done something unusual this week. I'm going to put two outlines side by side as we go along, right? And one of the reasons I want to do that is because I want us to see both sides of this important coin, especially in this first point. The positive is think rightly, But the negative instruction is stop with the stinking thinking. Now, why do we do that? Because that, in essence, is the process of sanctification growing like Christ throughout our lives, right? What is repentance? You repent, you turn from the sin that you are engaged in, but you don't just stay neutral. You repent from the sin, but true repentance is you replace the old habit with the new virtue in Jesus Christ. So it's not just enough to stop the stinking thinking, but then you turn and replace that negative thinking with right, pure thinking along the lines of Jesus Christ within your life. So that's why this is here. You have to know that. The Bible says, put off the old and put on the new, right? This is the model of discipleship, again, within the Bible for our lives as Christ followers. Notice the first word in verse 8. Finally. Uh, Paul's picking up momentum here within this letter. He just mentioned the unsurpassed peace of God in verses 6 and 7, which guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. By the way, loved ones, I mean, we spent all these weeks in Philippians. I strongly, strongly encourage you to memorize some of the parts that's spoken to you most. It is so powerful in your moments of weakness, and I wonder how many of us this past week when the levels of anxiety started to rise in our lives as they all do at different times, and then Philippians 4, 7 starts to wonderfully haunt us. And do not be anxious about anything, verses 6 and 7, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Take that anxiety, right? The sword of the Spirit wielding through the lies of the enemy and the sinful uh, nature that we have within us. I encourage you, do that, and see how the Lord uses that within your life. We've been here all this time. We might as well go the distance and equip ourselves with being ready to be used again for the Lord and what he's doing. So, 
Paul builds on this momentum and he says, finally, which isn't like in conclusion, it's more like, and beyond that, uh, in addition to, he's saying, he's like, he knows he's on a roll and he wants to keep it going. So look at verse eight again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think, think about these things. Now, over all the years, we've, we've heard that phrase or that kind of statement or teaching of the power of positive thinking. Now, this has largely been hijacked into a self-esteem, self-help, and, and in some ways, a new age obsession as well. Sadly, this has leaked in significant ways within the church. Of course it does. That's what Satan does. That's what false teaching does. You know, in phrases like, uh, believe in yourself. Just got to think positively about yourself, man. You think it'll come true. Really? Really? I always, I always struggle so much with that for believing in yourself. I'm just, I'm looking within. I'm like, believe in this? Uh, no thanks. Okay? Last time I checked, man, this is hurting. This is, this is not going great. Okay? Be by myself. Uh, not good. Believe in this. Not much to believe in, people. No thank you. I'll pass. I'm not believing in self. I want to believe my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who's perfect. He's the one who set me free. He's the one who allows me to live with hope and the reality of glory. He's my truth. He's my way. He's my salvation. Self, no thanks. Jesus, yes, please. Yes, please. And so you counteract the reality of the world we live in to say, man, this idea of positive thinking in a human sense, not good. However, however, what we find in verse 8 is a legitimate, biblical, Christ-centered, powerful, positive thinking. Or we can call it pure thinking. Again, the mind is such a powerful thing. What's so important to realize, listen, listen, is we choose what we think upon. Pause for a second. Just think about that. What we think upon will ultimately determine theologically what we become. We choose what we think upon. We're not robots. We make decisions every day in the choices of what we are filling our minds with, what we are contemplating, what we are considering, what we fill again and saturate our minds with, we choose that on a day-to-day -day basis. Think of how our minds um, shape our attitudes and our pursuits. Um, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Oh, there it is. And strength. The participation of the mind in the greatest commandment in the history of the universe. Consider um, Romans 12 verse 1, how the mind shapes our actions. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Okay, here we go. How, how, how? By the renewal of your mind, right? That you may test and discern what is good and pleasing according to the will of God. That's so interesting. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't live for the world. No, no. Be transformed by the starting point, the renewal of the mind to allow ourselves to see the path that God has for us. How about in this wonderful letter in Philippians itself, Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Why have this mind for all the things we've said? The mind is so powerful. 
And then, of course, in the negative, if you want to look over at chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Here's the power of the mind in, in the negative. Notice Paul says, um, the enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, they glory in their shame, notice, with minds set on earthly things. What's your mind set upon? What are our minds set upon? You know, I grew up with watching the advertisement, the UNCF, and the advertisement was, and the slogan was, it says, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Some of you, I might have just dated myself there, but some of you remember that. And it's a really, really powerful statement. Spiritually, it's more powerful. Uh, that slogan was in terms of education, opportunity for those who may not wonderful. But listen, the mind is a terrible thing to waste spiritually because this is impacting all of eternity. This is impacting the one chance we have in this life to do what God has called us to do. It starts with the mind. The mind. The power and the renewal of the mind. To loved ones, don't ever underestimate the power of the mind. You know what's true? It's true here. That, that statement, garbage in, garbage out, that's so true with the mind. Garbage in the mind, garbage will come out of your mind. Garbage will come out of your life. A garbage in, garbage out. So what's the answer? We've got to stop our stinking thinking. And replace it with pure thinking. Now before we go any further, I want to unpack one element, led to do this this week, one aspect of stinking thinking, which I think is very, very vital within our lives. Stinking thinking as it, re as it relates to our relationships. And some of us are in this cycle right now that we need to be saved from, and it all begins with how we think and what's happening within our mind, okay? So a uh, list on the screen for you, I'm going to put four forms for the top forms of stinking thinking, okay? The first one is this, um, self-pity. Self-pity. Now, self-pity is very tempting because it's when life gets hard or we feel hard done by that we begin to look at our circumstances and we see that the sun is shining on other people that are beyond us and we get uh, very negative and we start to feel really uh, sorry for ourselves and we are filled with self-pity. Now notice this. The single greatest problem with self-pity is that it's all focused on self. It's self-pity. And when we're all focused on self, we're not focused on Christ. And as long as we're not focused on Christ and focused on self, again, you are believing yourself. You are looking at the individual and focusing on the one who cannot take you to places you actually want to go. Self won't do it. It doesn't cut it. Only Christ can. But self-pity starts to brew in our lives and we replay things in our heads about how hard done by we are and begin to feel so sorry for ourselves. And largely what happens here from self-pity moves into this, moves into blaming. Blaming. We, we blame others. I said to my kids, all four of them in the same room at one point recently, and I said to them, I said, kids, kids, how come, how come, when you're talking about situations, how come it's never your fault? Why, why, every, why is it always your brother's fault? Why is it always your, just one time, kids? Could you ever just stand up and own it and say, actually, Dad, I'm responsible for what just happened? That'd be awesome. But every single time it seems to be, man, I'm blaming the other person to push off responsibility for myself to deflect so I don't have to own deep down what I know might be true for my life. Yeah, of course, I could isolate my own kids and their sinful depravity. <laughs> but I quickly look into my own heart and life. 
and say, Robbie, but don't you do the same thing so often? Don't we? What is, why do we blame so quickly? Why is blame shifting? Well, blaming is really power flesh. It's our flesh rising up and not wanting to be accountable for anything that happened in our lives. Blaming occurs because we don't want to deal with our own stuff. Blaming happens because, again, as we said, we are deflecting the ownership, especially of our sin. And because we don't want to be held account, we push the emphasis and spotlight on other people in anger, and we forcibly blame others at the end of the day to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But that's a lie, but we don't seem to know or care. And so from self-pity, we blame. Everyone else is my issue. The problem with blaming is the only person you can change is yourself. But it just feels good in the flesh to hold others to account and judgment and to somehow place ourselves in, I mean, how dumb that is, place ourselves in a position where we've done no wrong. Now watch this, from self-pity goes to blaming, and then thirdly, this is illogical, an unwillingness to change. This is huge stinking thinking. Self-pity and blaming results in saying, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. Stinking thinking becomes so pervasive and powerful that you begin to convince yourselves of what is not true. Again, again, as long as we put ourselves in a place where we think everyone else needs to change and not us, that is the dumbest position of thought I can imagine. It's foolishness. I'm not, I'm not changing at all. You change everyone. Really? Really? Is that humble? Is that remotely Christ-like? That's pride. That's stupidity. That is stubbornness. That is sinful. But it's the pattern of negative thought that starts to run through our minds. And watch, self-pity, blaming, unwillingness to change. And then fourthly then, we see anger and bitterness. Well, of course. Well, of course, this makes total sense. What happens is you fill yourself with self-pity. You're blaming everyone else. You say, I'm not changing at all. Well, you become the victim. And as long as you see yourself as the victim the entire time, then you convince yourself and you start, listen, the anger and bitterness because you start to rehearse offenses done against you. The biggest problem with stinking thinking too is you lie in bed at night and you're going over the situations of those who have hurt you or offended you or have wronged you and what Satan does, he jumps on that train and he starts to embellish in your mind and sow seeds of falsehood of events that change to make it out be much worse than what actually occurred and then you start believing a lie as though it were true and you see a situation in complete and utter falsehood which then represents that person you're mad again in a greater degree agree, but you're not even operating in reality. That's dangerous. And it happens to all of us. You rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse. And all of a sudden, what started as a 5 out of 10 has become an 11 out of 10, and the anger and the rage and the bitterness, and the, I mean, if you don't get that checked, you're in massive trouble. I'm in massive trouble. And Satan will ride that horse as far and as long as he can, right off the cliff to your own self-destruction. Let me go to the screen here for a second. I want you to see this, okay? You have to understand this as a point of proper, true, biblical thought. This process right here, okay? You will never win. This will never work out for you. You're like, yeah, but it feels good, man. Blaming is easy to do. I'm willing to change. I can sit there, my feet firmly padded, and anger and bitterness in my flesh, man. This is okay. Listen, you can feel what you want temporarily. It will not work out long term. 
Not one exception to this. Not one person. You will suffer the most. I will suffer the most as long as this is taking place. I'm, I'm just speaking truth to you right now from God's word. Think of like just think of how many marriages could be saved from this right here. I mean, just, just this process. How many relationships? How many friendships still intact? Just the simple process. Not easy, but it is simple in terms of seeing what's happening. That you stop the stinking thinking. And you put yourself in a position to actually hear from the Lord. That he might use you. So let's just pause for a second. How does that apply to you? Where does that apply to you? Why does that apply to you? And now we see it's not just enough to stop the stinking thinking. Now we've got to replace it with true thinking. Now we've got to replace it with pure thinking. So from the bad stuff, now we turn to the good stuff. Verse 8, let's go through these items. Paul says, whatever is, think on these things. He says, whatever is true, whatever is true. Just consider how important truth is. Jesus, in his prayer to his father, John 17, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Change them. Grow them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, the other side of this is Satan. Satan is called in John chapter 8, the father of lies. I mean, you want to talk about stinking thinking? Satan is the captain of this. He's the father of lies. That's what Paul says, whatever is true. And by the way, the greatest battle in our day right now in this nation is the battle for truth. Because if you lose the truth, you lose everything. This is why this has been so under attack since the moment it was written, and probably never much so than it is right now. And the church is capitulating bit by bit to the culture and starting to compromise on the truth, starting to water it down, starting to weaken it, starting to answer the question that Satan's asking, did God really say, did God really say, did God really say? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And it's all here in black and white. He really said it. But the battle for truth, because if you lose the truth, there's no power in the church. We no longer have authority. There's nothing to guide us. There's nothing to steer us away from false teaching. It comes at a cost. But no wonder then Paul starts here with whatever is true. Because it's the truth that leads to the rest of the list found here within Philippians chapter 4. Jesus, the way, the, the truth, and the life. Satan, the father of lies. Our thinking patterns. And by the way, right now, Satan has many of us right now imagining things about other people that have never actually happened. The conversations in our minds that go on about one another. And you start judging a person and you've never even heard them talk. You have no idea what's in their heart. And you are hearing thoughts about what they've said or done against you that are completely fabricated by the evil one himself. And you have seeds sowing in your heart of other people right now of jealousy, envy, anger, bitterness, and even hatred. And they're all based on no facts whatsoever. Be very careful. That's a huge, huge conclusion and danger of stinking thinking. I mean, right now, right now. What thoughts are going through your mind that you just sit there and say, are they actually factual at all? Satan wants you to think they are. And you can see how many people get hurt in the process. But this is why Paul says, listen, whatever is true, think on whatever is true. Why? Truth is light in the darkness. Truth is, 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 is clarity in a world of confusion. Truth is life in a world of death. Death. 
the single greatest way to think on what is true is God's word. The single greatest way. Again, I I love pointing out the obvious. Um, If you didn't show up to church today, then you're not hearing what you're hearing right now. Your mind is not being renewed. Right? Then like the very thing we're talking about in God's word is happening as we're doing it. We're thinking right now on what is true. And the Holy Spirit is using it to expose the lies and to highlight the truth. Our mind's being renewed. We're starting to think rightly. And then even as we speak, we're actually starting to take movements to act rightly now. It's an amazing thing. I love that. It's happening as we speak. Hundreds of minds being renewed for the Lord Jesus Christ because we're thinking on that which is true. Again, once again, once again, pondering God's word, the, the importance of spending time with the Lord, man, it is not a check mark. It is life. It is the ability to function as Christ wants us to function by his grace and his Holy Spirit. Whatever is true, Paul says this, think on whatever is honorable and just. Our thoughts are to be upon that which is worthy of honor, on that which is just, meaning righteous or just right. Think on that which is right. One of the ways to look at this is to reverse it, loved ones. Are we thinking upon that which is dishonorable? Are we thinking upon that which is flat out unjust or wrong or unrighteous? Another way to look at it. Have our thoughts been cheapened by trash or vulgarity? And stop, pause, the music you listen to. The movies you're watching. The magazines or the internet that you are exposed to, the games you're playing, the conversations you're having, is that honorable? Always the task, if Jesus was sitting beside me, would I still be doing it? Here comes Jesus, quick turn off. If we were hanging out together, would it change anything? You with me and I with you. Would you be all cool with that? Whatever we are filling our minds with is ultimately what we become. Think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of messages that are occurring on a daily basis. You know, I recently just went and saw um, a popular movie. I don't go to the movie theater a lot. No, no, I have no problem with it, obviously, based on the content, it's appropriate. But every time I go, I'm just, I'm kind of taking in from a spiritual perspective, man, the over, it's, it's a massive uh, um, uh, sensory and just the indoctrination of the things of the world and just the stimulation that is overwhelming on every level. And how many people are looking for that to be their next form of drug to escape the moment? I'm tempted with it too. I get it. It doesn't have to be wrong, but it can be. Just to be aware, this is how our world is operating. Just numb my mind for another two hours. Filling our mind with all of these things that in the end we have to say, where is that going? Talking to myself right now. You just get to hear the conversation. What are we filling our minds with? And here's another question. Who are we following? Are we following people that have honorable examples? Are we following people who are moving in just ways, right ways? Or are the people that we're closest to, are they immoral and without integrity? Paul says, think on these things, what are honorable and just. He then says, think on what is pure and lovely and commendable. So my thoughts are to be in that which is pure. I'm holy. My thoughts are to be in that which is lovely, a beautiful in God's sight. 
My thoughts are to be that which is commendable. That means um, something well reported of, um, approved of by the Lord, really. You know, behind these words, especially pure, was the idea for the context of the Philippian church is moral purity. Think on that which is morally pure. Loved ones, the power of purity in Jesus Christ. The Philippian church had temptations all around them towards sexual impurity and sexual immorality. Let's just take example in our day, one of the greatest factors of negative stinking, uh, detrimental, destructive thinking, pornography. Think about that. You set your mind on pornography, you're setting your mind on that which is impure, disgusting to the Lord, not commendable, but reprehensible. You become how you think. What you think is what you become. Think about that. You think on pornography all the time. You become like that. And all the wicked, satanic, demonic darkness that is embedded within it, that's what you're becoming. That's scary. Let's talk about fornication. Sex outside of marriage. How many in this place right now, this is, this is a sin you're engaged in, sex outside of marriage. God's design for sex, one man, one woman. The covenant, the beautiful covenant of marriage. Fornication, not pure, not lovely, not commendable. The Bible says it is impure, it is immoral, it is forbidden. It's amazing excuses in our day, man, because our culture is just like, what are you talking about? Waiting? Just like, there's no understanding at all. Just like, of course we're doing that. It doesn't matter what the world says, it matters what the Lord says. But listen, sex within marriage, powerfully pure by God's design, exceptionally beautiful and beautifully and wonderfully commanded. Sex within God's design for marriage. But see what stinking thinking does, it takes what God has designed for purity and blessing and changes it and, and makes it marred and disgusting in the ways of the world. C.S. Lewis said it so well here, he said this. So this is in his, in his book, Screwtape Letters. This is Screwtape the senior demon writing to his junior demon or his apprentice nephew. And they're devising strategies of how to ruin Christians. We demons always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure, right? The pleasures that God has put up and designed for our good, for his glory. To that in which is the least natural. So, so change the pleasure to that in which is least natural and least redolent of its maker. And, here, and least pleasurable, right? Not pleasurable in the Lord. This is, this is the goal of the enemy. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. So take what God has set up as good and wonderful and for our pleasure and his glory, but mess it up, make it gross, twist it around so there's an increasing desire but an ever-diminishing pleasure in it and what God has created. That's our sexual revolution right now. This describes our sexual revolution. Satan's having a heyday. Take sex designed by God for his glory and completely run it through the sewer. And you have people emptying out on a daily basis, longing for the next fix, longing for the next feeling, longing for the next relationship, and it never fulfills them because they're an increasing desire for an ever-diminishing reality of that pleasure. Satan's clever, man. Think 
on things which are honorable and lovely and commendable. Let's change gears for a second. Think on that which is pure, lovely, commendable. How about um, it's springtime? Have you noticed it's springtime? Woo! It's springtime. Use springtime right now. Enjoy springtime. Don't waste it. See, what do you mean? The earth right now is resurrecting. That is awesome. See what's pure. See what's lovely. See what's worthy of praise. Say, what do you mean? The leaves are budding right now. Yay! The birds are singing right now. It's wonderful to the glory of the Lord. Even when they wake you up at 5 a.m., you hear the glory of the Lord through the songs of the birds communicating across, again, the earth. The birds are building nests right now. It's, it's, just, it's just remarkable. They come and they get twigs and they form this like perfect circular nest for their... Who does that? How do they know how to do that? Glory to God. The grass is growing right now. It's turning lushly green, and it's growing, and it's beautiful. And the dandelion. Oh, no, no, no. Let's leave that out right now. No, no, no. No, no. That's the curse of sin, isn't it? It is. And new heavens and new earth, no dandelions for sure, right? But the reality is it's springtime. Don't waste it. Get outside, look around, gaze upon the sky, look at the clouds, worship Jesus Christ as you view the sun shining by the Son of God who sets it in its place. Think on things which are pure and lovely and commendable. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 8. He says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise... You know what he's doing here? He's summarizing this list he's given by using the highest word for virtue in the Greek language, excellence. And then he heaps on more incentive with worthy of praise. We are to think on these things. So really what this is all saying is, am I thinking on such things that God would approve of? Pause. Am I thinking on such things that God would approve of? Are my thoughts worthy of praise? Again, what are we filling our minds with? What are we thinking upon? Where do we need to get our minds out of the gutter? How can we set our minds on things above? You know, I read this week, um, the average person has 10,000 thoughts a day. What percentage of those thoughts are on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable? What percentage? You know, the, um, the prayer that my great-grandmother wrote, Winifred Simons, is in my Bible always, and I just realized that this prayer, I've always loved this prayer, I've shared this prayer before, but I've just realized this prayer really is Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Listen to her prayer that she wrote with her own hand. O Lord, renew in me today a mind to please thee well that seeks not high things, but does choose in lowliness to dwell. Thy mind, O Christ, which for my sin led thee to Calvary, impart to me today, I pray, that I may live for thee. Help me to think on all things pure, things honest, lovely, true. For in myself, O Lord, I fall, thy mind in me renew. That's good. And that's Philippians 4, 8, and 9 precisely. Think on these things. No stinking thinking. Think rightly. Number two, act accordingly. Or action that gets traction. Verse 9, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, 
Practice these things, Paul says. So, notice verse 8, think about these things. Verse 9, practice these things. Right here in a verse and a half is a powerful summary of growth in Christ, right? Think, right thoughts, leads to right actions. What are we thinking about? What are we thinking about? Leads to right actions. And right actions will produce the fruit in our lives. Now, in the gospel, understand this, right? Ready, ready, ready? There's no way to avoid this, even in our hyper-grace movement in our day. You can't avoid this. Ready? Truth received will always lead to truth applied. If truth is accurately received in the gospel, there must be fruit. When you have justification, it must lead to sanctification. You cannot separate those two things. The, the apprehension, the reception of the gospel leads to good works from my life. I don't earn anything with God. I respond in love to God, but it must lead to fruit from my life. Truth received is truth applied. In Christ, not just information, transformation. Not just doctrine, but duty. Not just belief, but behavior. Notice in verse 9, Paul's fourfold reminder. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen. And this is so true, isn't it? We have learned. We have received. We have heard. We have seen as well. But notice, all these things are happening to us. They're, they're things that we are receiving. But now the command is, let's see the fruit come from us in the practice these things. Often we've heard the phrase, practice what you preach. This is practice what's been preached. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And why does Paul say this? Because this is the action that gets traction. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why? Because in Jesus Christ is real life, true life, abundant life, the blessed life, eternal life. There's really kind of three categories of things that we do, that we practice within our lives. We do things that are downright sinful. We do things that are morally neutral. And we do things that are really of eternal proportions. You know, I heard a preacher say recently, he said this, this is very insightful. He says, often the greatest thing that hinders our passion for Christ are things that are in the morally neutral camp. It's neither right or wrong, or it's not really wrong, so we justify the activity in that which is neutral, but if we're not careful, the neutrality of that uh, pursuit ends up robbing our joy from things that are best and most prized in Jesus Christ. Pause, think. I thought that was a really good word. The time we spend, we're so busy doing whatever, but in the end of the day, it's not really of eternal significance at all. That's why Paul says, what you've learned, heard, received, seen in me, practice these things because that's where life is lived. You say, how do I kind of take stock of how I'm practicing the things? Well, I think a good way to look at it is how are you spending your time? How are you spending your talent, giftedness in Christ? How are you spending God's treasure? Time, talent, treasure. Are they being used for Christ or are they being used for self? Are they being used for sinful practices? Are they being used for the glory of Jesus Christ? Are you seeing the passion for his church be built up? Time, talent, treasure. My time, my talent, my treasure. How are they being used? Take stock, take a measurement. Try to figure out where those things are. You'll quickly figure out your mind, your thoughts, your actions, and your heart. So consider, think, act, thought leads to action, and then finally this happens, right thinking, right action, and now we see right rest, or the peace of God. Point number three is this, peace be with you, or blessed rest, blessed rest. 
Look at the end of verse 9. And, 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 and. Right thinking, right living now. The result. And the God of peace will be with you. This is an awesome promise. I mean, look at verse 9 again. Just look at it for a second. Notice this. Not only does the peace of God dwell in us, verse 7, but now we see the God of peace dwells with us. The God of peace himself dwells with us. And notice, this is conditioned upon right thinking, right living. Are you lacking peace? Are you devoid of of, of peace, the God of peace? But notice, notice, right thinking, right living leads to right peaceful understanding. The awareness of the peace of God. It's so important. Think right, live right. And then expect. Expect the God of peace to be wonderfully with you. Close with this today. I um, was in Romania a couple weeks ago, as many of you know, and and it's been uh, it's been an unusual season for myself the last several months. At times, you're trying to figure out kind of what's going on and in different places and different struggles. But you have this Romania trip that's planned, and you're kind of like, all right, I'm not feeling super, you know, super strong, even super spiritual. But it's in the calendar, and you're going to go by faith. And and so we jump on the plane. Me, Pastor Ian Hales from uh, Harvest Durham. And we're on the plane, and we're going to Frankfurt, and kind of feeling tired as it begins. And you, I remember we took the red eye, of course, to get over there near Frankfurt Airport, and you go into the terminal there, and I was just so exhausted. Like, I don't, I don't sleep well on planes, and so you get there, and you find kind of where the gate is. We're going to get our next flight in a few hours, and I find four seats that are kind of empty. The place, actually, the whole place is empty, and you kind of fall asleep. You, you get there, and I think I've ever done this before because it's hard, but anyways, find four seats. I'm so tired. I'm just trying to fall asleep. I, I just need to sleep because you get to Romania. You got to do ministry right away. And I remember falling asleep on these four seats, and there's no one around. Well, you wake up two hours later, and all of a sudden, you kind of, your one eye opens closely, and the whole place is absolutely packed. All right, like it is absolutely jammed. Okay, and for me, I'm not, I'm not sure like me or you wake up in the morning. You're not you're not really excited about 400 people looking at you as you wake up. You know what I'm saying? And you're like bedhead. Your eyes are bloodshot. You got a couple hours of saliva dripping down your face. You know, then you wake up and you're like, what is happening here? Pastor Ian told me it's hilarious because he was doing the same thing. He woke up. There was two people in full Russian gear laughing at him, pointing at him. That's awesome. That's awesome. those crazy Canadians, huh? Anyways, so we get to Romania, man. We get there and a three-hour drive with Pastor Maris. Ian went to some other part of the country initially. I gave with Pastor Marius. I said, he's a friend. I said, Marius, listen, I got to tell you, man, I'm getting here by faith. I got nothing, man. Like, I got nothing. I, I, I trust the Lord. I know he is God and he is good. I just, like, just personally where I am, I got nothing. And he's like, oh, brother, I pray for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's so great. And we're driving, whatever, and then the conference starts, and my, uh, my, my, my turn's to preach on the Monday night, and you go up there, and you're just, you're weak, and, and, and you are, you are, you are lacking, and, but you you stand up by faith and, and, and you, begin to, you begin to preach. And now this is translation, right? So I'm preaching here. Marius is right beside me. And he's translating. Even before, I'm like, Marius, why don't you just preach? Like, translation, so you stop and start. It's hard to get momentum. Shouldn't you just take the word? No, brother. No, no. Have faith. Have faith. You know, whatever, whatever. And so there we are. And um, preaching Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 is, but this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He was humble and contrite and trembles at my word. I mean, you want to talk about right thinking? That's right thinking. Begin to preach, man. Just, you know, the life of a preacher is a curious thing. Uh, there's so much of it I can never explain to you unless you kind of do it yourself. There's this thing called unction. It's of the Spirit of God. You cannot, man, you cannot make it pr- produced by man or woman. It's impossible. 
it's a totally supernatural thing and you sense the spirit of God moving and filling and then all of a sudden you are brought into a place where the clarity in your mind is crystal and the strength of your heart is supernatural and the authority from your voice just comes from the Lord and you're, and you're there and you are communicating the word and you could care less about the fear of man and you're so filled with the fear of the Lord. When a preacher experiences this, it might as well be heaven itself. It's one of the most glorious moments you can ever imagine. It's why once you taste it, settling for anything less is so difficult. So I'm sitting there and you stand up and all your weakness and frailty, all your inadequacy and you know it and you begin to communicate and I'm beginning to preach the message. At one point I look beside me and Mary has his tears streaming down his face. I'm just looking at him and I'm like, what's wrong with me? This is my message and you're crying. Man. Is that good or bad, Mary? Is that good or bad? You know? But there he is. He's so moved by the Lord and God's spirit moves into that room of pastors and leaders and it wasn't long after that, man, just again, then the power and the authority of God's word and his grace and you're communicating and the spirit of God fills that room and the tears begin to fill not just Mary's eyes but my eyes, his wife Nutsi's sitting at the front row at the, at the aisle seat and she's handing Kleenex to, our, to us both at the same time. It was awesome. We're both wiping tears side by side, me preaching, him translating. One of the most beautiful moments in, uh, in the last recent memory. It was just, just so precious. And to look out upon the people and how they are too. I'm telling you, one of the things that happens is when you see God working in that way and your right thinking starts to orient your actions in the right way and then what happens? And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. And I'm telling you, that sermon was as much for me that night as it was for anyone else. And when it was done, they planned a song. But what they didn't plan was an extended time of ministry where it was just people were broken and repenting and weeping and confessing and praying for minutes and minutes on end. And I just left the pulpit when I was done. And I went over to my seat and I got down on the floor and I just humbled myself before the Lord and began. You know what happened to me? When you know you're so sinful, when you know you're so frail, when you know you have nothing, when you know you're unworthy, when you yourself wouldn't forgive yourself because you know you have no right to do that, when the God of peace comes up beside you and fills you and loves you and graces you and pours his mercy upon you at the moment you feel like you least deserve it. That is a crushing moment and the best sense of that word ever. I don't deserve this. I know, Robbie, but I love you. And because you don't deserve it, I will shower you with kindness again and show you how good I am. When you think rightly and live rightly and the God of peace comes upon you, there are few moments in life you will ever want to move from. You are so lowered in his presence and he is so exalted in your estimation and your viewpoint. That is where life is most powerfully lived. You are nothing, God is everything. But who gets the glory then? God gets the glory 100% of the time. Right thinking. This is the one to whom God will look. Humble, contrite spirit and trembles at his word. Think on these things. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now think, think, think. I want you to sit still. Whenever I say this next line here, we often start filling around. I just want you to sit still. We're going to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Think, think. What else could we think upon that is more true and pure and lovely and just and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise.